Job chapter 22, the entire chapter, verses 1 through 30. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right? Or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. For you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and the favored man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you, or darkness, so that you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks on the vault of heaven. Will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod? They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, depart from us. And what can the Almighty do to us? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent one mocks at them, saying, Surely our adversaries are cut off. And what they left, the fire has consumed. Agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to Him and He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter, and it will be established for you, and light will shine on your ways. For when they are humbled, you say, it is because of pride, but he saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the back and forth between Job and his friends, It seems like this situation is going to blow up at any moment. As the false accusations increase, Eliphaz adds a little more flesh to the bones. He provides more detail to the accusations that he has been hurling at Job. His tongue has become unrestrained. Before he was a little more reserved, but now he presents open and explicit accusations. He gets Specific. And this is all because Job has rejected the idea that you can tell a book by its cover and that you can tell if someone is in the right with God or not by observing their life situation. 
So Eliphaz responds with definite confidence that Job was an unbelieving sinner. The voice of Satan, the accuser, is speaking much louder and clearer in Eliphaz's final speech. Because those who make false accusations resemble the character of Satan. Jesus said to those who were trying to catch him in sin that you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a slanderer and the accuser of God's people. He only seeks to destroy lives. Slander and false accusations have the ability to ruin someone's entire life because it is an attack on our neighbor's good name, our neighbor who is made in the image of God. This is why it is sin and leads to destruction. I'm not sure if Eliphaz was thinking his words through because the ironic thing is he believed he was speaking for God when he was actually agreeing with Satan. Because like Satan, he accuses Job of being a hypocrite and an unbeliever. And what's more is that he thought he was doing something good by granting Job a chance to turn to God. But instead of a spiritual invitation, he is engaged in spiritual abuse. I know these words are being used today in unhelpful ways, but nonetheless, spiritual abuse occurs And it occurs in churches across the country from what we call bully pulpits. This is a warning for all of us today because notice how it is such a thin line between being God's ambassador to representing Satan. And this follows the ways of Satan as he disguises himself as an angel of light. Much of what Eliphaz says is, Theologically sound and true, but they were misapplied. His words are darkness disguised with light. But as we will see, even in his false accusations and false application, Eliphaz's words will reveal the character of someone greater than Job who will deliver his people. And he does this without even knowing it. So in Eliphaz's last speech, before he invites Job to turn to God, he accuses him of particular sins. He warns him of God's punishment before he calls him to repent so that Job would prosper. In the first two sections, verses 1 through 11 and verses 12 through 20, he begins by expounding God's character before he accuses Job of particular sins in the first section and warns Job about God's punishment of the wicked in the second section. So first, he begins by speaking about God's character, then accuses Job of particular sins. And on a positive note, what we can get from Eliphaz's speech is something that is missing in many churches today, and it is the teaching of God's Attributes. A good summary is found in our Shorter Catechism, question 4, which asks, what is God? In the first half of the answer to that question, there are certain attributes that do not belong to humans. It says, God is a spirit, 
infinite, eternal, meaning he has no beginning and no end. And he is unchangeable. He is immutable, unlike us. And in our confession, it also says that God is impassable. He is without passions, meaning he cannot suffer or feel pain. He has no parts. And there is no creature that can add anything to him. He needs no one to exist. He cannot be moved by his creatures and their actions. He has decreed all things before the foundation of the world, and he will not change his mind. This is why we can depend on God. But Eliphaz presents a slightly different take on God's character here. He teaches that God is all-sufficient in himself and cannot be moved by the actions of man, which is true. And this means that God is impartial, and so he must judge sin. And since Job looks like he is under God's judgment, he must be guilty of sin. He asks, can a man that is a strong man, someone with ability and strength, can this man do anything that can be profitable to God? Is there anything that man can do that will place God in his debt? Well, no. Man's actions cannot help nor harm God. Now, the problem with Eliphaz's reasoning is that he says this in order to say that the answer to Job's problem is not found in God, but in himself. He says, surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Job, you're not being punished because of your piety. Leave God out of this. There is something else going on here. Maybe it is a lack of piety. Because it doesn't bring any pleasure to God if Job was in the right. God gains nothing if Job made his ways blameless. Something that's missing here is who makes Job's ways blameless? Is it Job or is it God? And why would God enter into judgment with Job if Job truly feared him? See, he is putting everything on Job without considering the grace of God. See, Eliphaz relies on a system, a religious system, based on works righteousness. So to summarize, he is asking Job, why would God punish someone who is righteous, blameless, and who truly fears him? Because no matter what Job says and how much he cries out to God, the proof is in the pudding. If Job was wise according to God, he would not be suffering because God is consistent. He consistently judges everyone by their actions and issues punishment in this life accordingly. God is completely impartial. And so judging by what Job has been going through, he cannot fool his friends. He must be guilty. You did something wrong, Job. Just look at your life. You're a sinner. And it is from this place that he begins to present his false accusation. It was hinted at in his previous speeches, but now it is pretty clear and explicit. He says, it's not your evil abundant. There is no end to your iniquities. He changes his tune from a previous speech where he commended Job for instructing many, 
strengthening the weak hands, upholding the one who is stumbling, and made firm the weak knees. Before he said that Job was a man of justice, but now he says he is unjust. He is an evil, unbelieving sinner. See, this is the progression involved when you begin with false assumptions about another professing believer and their condition. This is the progression of slander. This was one of the dangers behind pietism. Not piety, pietism, also known as conversionism, which was a movement within the Reformed Church during uh, the 1700s, still practice in some corners today, and it influenced the first Great Awakening. Uh, There were ministers who would tell those who were tormented in their consciences to embrace their torment as they would sit anxiously in their pews without any relief from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the ministers would decide when was the proper time to give them relief. A simple profession of faith and a sanctified lifestyle was never enough. Job's words were never enough. His lifestyle wasn't enough. Not that they knew much about that anyway. So here, the pietist Eliphaz presents his false accusations like a prosecuting attorney in court. And he accuses Job of abusing his power and office He says that Job exacted pledges of his brothers for nothing, meaning he forced them into agreements or contracts which involved money exchange without cause and no way of getting out. It sounds much like getting into a timeshare. You can never get out of those things, supposedly. I don't know if that's true. but He was extorting his brothers, which would leave them with nothing. He stripped them naked of their clothing and the necessities needed for life. He accused Job of withholding water from the weary and bread from the hungry. He accused him of being a man of power and privilege, a favored man, a man with connections, living on his own lavish property. And according to Eliphaz, Job even sent widows away empty and he crushed the arms. That is another way of saying their strength the strength of the fatherless. He hurt the most vulnerable people whom God is said to love and protect. And so he says, for this reason, there are snares all around you, Job. This is what you deserve. God is just punishing another tyrant. And the sudden terrors of hell overwhelm you or darkness so that you cannot see and a flood of waters covers you. Which sounds familiar because it sounds like God's judgment, which will be alluded to next. So secondly, he warns Job of the punishment that comes upon the wicked. He warns him that he should not follow their ways. But before that, again, he begins with describing God's character and that God is transcendent. He is beyond human experience. Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. Also, the truth is, though God is transcendent, at the same time, God is also omniscient. 
meaning He knows all things and sees all things. He knows and sees the actions of man, and He is directly involved in His creation. He does not stand aloof. But Eliphaz turns to Job and puts blasphemous words in his mouth. But you say, what does God know? He is accusing Job of saying what the wicked says in Psalm 73. How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? How can God know and how can He judge through deep darkness? Thick clouds veil Him so that He does not see and He walks on the vault of heaven. He is basically accusing Job of being a deist. This is someone who believes that God created all things like a a watchmaker who makes a watch and lets the watch tick on its own. God created all things and now He just sits back and lets His creation take care of itself not knowing what is going on and He is no longer involved. He is insinuating that Job is living as if God does not see what He is doing. He is accusing Him of being a practical atheist. You may say you believe in God, Job, but you are acting as if He doesn't exist. You are acting as if He doesn't see your actions and know your heart. Funny thing is that Eliphaz is claiming to know all the words that Job never spoke. But he says all this to say, God sees everything, and so this is a warning that he will punish you if you continue to follow the ways of the wicked Job. Will you keep to the old way that the wicked men have trod? Wait, what old way? I believe Eliphaz is referring to when God flooded the earth in the time of Noah and the wicked were snatched away before their time and their foundation was washed away. He even echoes Job going forward when he says, They said to God, Depart from us, and what can the Almighty do to us? Though God has given them gifts and filled their houses with good things, they reject the knowledge of God. And he resolves again, like Job and like David does in Psalm chapter 1, But the counsel of the wicked is far from me. I do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, Job. Not me. Notice the self-righteousness. That's not me. I'm not one of the wicked. Have we ever said that to ourselves? See, Job acknowledged his sin. This is why he offered sacrifices to God. But Eliphaz has not recognized his own sin. And he is saying, God punishes the wicked and all their deeds. Consider yourself, Job, and where you are at this moment. Now this is a healthy warning for all believers that we should steer away from the ways of the wicked, but not without acknowledging our own wickedness. We turn to God for forgiveness and the grace to live for Him. We are counted as righteous by faith alone in Christ alone. But Eliphaz falsely assumes that Job was indeed wicked and continues to say that the righteous sees the punishment of the wicked and they are glad. They laugh and they mock them just like God does when he laughs at the wicked nations who plot against him and his anointed. The righteous mock the wicked saying, surely our adversaries are cut off and what they left the fire has consumed. 
they are left with nothing. Their possessions are burned up because of their past iniquities. This is what he assumed happened to Job. But there is hope for Job if he turns away. And so after falsely accusing Job, Eliphaz softens up a bit. Thirdly, we hear of Job's deliverance. Because what Job desired more than anything else in the midst of his suffering was peace with God. This is the believer's greatest desire. There is nothing more important than having peace with God. All the enjoyments of life become misery if one does not have peace with God. So he says, instead of arguing against God, agree with God, submit to Him, yield to His ways, and be at peace. If you do that, Job, good will come to you. This is repeating Satan's slander about Job's motives that he was following God only for good things like money and prestige. So he lays out the conditions of repentance in order that Job may receive the ultimate good, the promises of God. Although this is greatly misapplied to Job, it does contain some truth that we would do well to listen to. Like he calls him to humble himself and be receptive to the word of God. This is what it means to be wise. He says, Job, don't be a fool. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. So the condition is that he repents. This is what it means to return to the Almighty. Then he promises that Job will be built up. And this repentance is to be complete. He is to remove injustice far from his tents and lay his gold in the dust, even the most expensive and legendary gold of the ancient East, the gold of Ophir. He calls him to lay down his expensive jewelry with the stones at the bottom of the rushing stream. He is calling him to give up his idols, even the idols of his heart. These idols can take whatever form, money, family, a good job, security, leisure, Entertainment, you name it. He tells Job to turn from whatever has his ultimate claim on his affections. If he does this, then he will receive the blessings of God and the blessing of his favorable presence. Eliphaz describes the blessings that follows repentance in four parts. First, the Almighty will be his gold and precious silver and Job will delight in him. And he will be able to lift his face to God. This is another way of saying, if you repent, you will be able to look at him in the eyes without shame. You will be in sweet communion with him. There will be this face-to-face fellowship that all men have lost because of sin. Having the Lord's face to shine upon you is a blessing that speaks of God showing favor to you. Job will delight in God rather than feeling the terror of God as he has been sensing. He will be secure in the love of God without doubt of his salvation. (coughs) Secondly, his prayers will be heard. And God will receive his vows of thanksgiving after those prayers have been answered. Thirdly, he will prosper. He will make a decision and it will happen. Much like the righteous man in Psalm 1 who is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. 
and light will shine on all his ways because he turned away from darkness and now walks in the light of the Lord. He will be secure in God's favor. Fourthly, he will also be a source of blessing and salvation for others. For when they are humbled, you say, it is because of pride. I believe a better translation here is actually lift them up because he saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. So Eliphaz promises Job that he will intercede and pray for the wicked and God will hear Job's prayers and save them. He will be a kind of proto-savior, a mediator for the people who are not innocent. He is saying that God will rescue and save the guilty through Job's innocence. Throughout scripture there have been mediators who would intercede for God's people. From Abraham to Moses. So now we can't forget Job. Later this is what Job will eventually do for Eliphaz. As he will pray for him. And they including his friends will be forgiven. So you see, although Eliphaz is way off on his application, the truth of the gospel is slowly unveiled to us, especially in light of all of scripture. Eliphaz was wrong in the fact that Job needed to repent of this particular sin of injustice. These are false accusations. But this also helps to reveal who Job ultimately represents. Because there is one who meets these conditions, much like Job, without need of repentance, but that is because this one was without sin. This one is in total agreement with God and experienced the peace of God completely. He is the embodiment of peace with God. He is also the embodiment of wisdom and instruction. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God to us. He always did what was pleasing to his father. Jesus was the beloved chosen servant in whom the Lord said, My soul delights. This is repeated from the clouds of heaven as they opened at Jesus' baptism. And God said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And likewise, the son delighted in his father. His prayers were always answered according to the will of his father. And likewise, he calls us to pray in his name so that the father may give us whatever we ask of him. This is why we are confident in prayer. We are confident in prayer because God always hears the prayers of Christ and Christ lives today to intercede for us. He is the righteous man of Psalm 1 who yielded fruit in its season and whose leaves never withered. In all that he does, he prospers. And he is the light of the world. He always walked in the light of his father. And he came to seek and to save the lost and the lowly. He came to deliver the one who is guilty. He came to deliver both you and I from the punishment that the wicked deserve, that we deserve. We are delivered 
through the cleanness of His hands. See, Jesus Christ is all over these promises given to Job. Now, what was wrong with Eliphaz's final speech? Much of it contains truth. See, we can be theologically precise, doctrinally sound, and yet misapply the truth of God. We need to be doctrinally sound and theologically precise, while at the same time carefully apply the Word of God. Eliphaz is right that God is all-sufficient, so he is impartial. He knows and sees all things. He does punish the wicked. He wants us to repent, and he blesses us in our communion with him. But there are some things he gets completely wrong. First, Eliphaz missed the fact that, yes, God is all-sufficient, and he needs no one. And God is just in punishing wickedness. But Job's suffering does not necessarily mean that God is punishing him. God will indeed use Job's suffering and the suffering of his children throughout redemptive history for his own glory. Because Job's trials and our trials will go on to prove that God is faithful to the praise of his wisdom in his work of redemption. Ultimately, God in His infinite wisdom would later send His beloved and most perfect Son, the one in whom His soul delights, our Lord Jesus Christ, to suffer for our sake. Was that a mistake? Well, no. And it is in this truth I would say to you, agree with God and be at peace. Secondly, He taught that God is impartial and that He consider all of man's actions. He knows all things and sees all things and so He must punish wickedness. Again, this is true. Every sin, no matter how small, God sees it and it deserves punishment. But when Eliphaz drew this conclusion, he should have looked within himself. Like the psalmist and say, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? Because what is missing here is self-awareness on the part of Eliphaz. And he was missing the fact that God is also most loving, gracious, merciful, and long-suffering. And since God is indeed impartial to sin, meaning He cannot overlook it, and He must punish both sin and sinners, He preordained that He will nail our sin to a cross in the flesh of Jesus Christ. There is no awareness of Eliphaz's own sin. And so, there is no grace in Eliphaz's depiction of God. There is no redemption in Job's suffering. Let us beware that we are not ignoring our own sin and at the same time withholding grace from others. This is an important lesson. Thirdly, God does call us to repent. 
we are called to repent daily. John said, if you say you have no sin, that's present tense, right now as a believer, if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in you. So he calls us all to repent daily of sin. He enables us to repent by the inward work of the Holy Spirit within us. And he does bless us with his presence in communion with him. But there are times when there is darkness in the believer's life. We will witness the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. There are seasons of mourning and loss. In all of my readings of biographies and autobiographies of saints of the past, I do pick up on a pattern that I see in their so-called conversion stories. Though they say they believe the doctrines and promises of Scripture, uh, they attribute their true conversion to an emotional experience of overwhelming joy, which is fine. But my question would be, Did they ever feel as if they lost some of that joy after that point of conversion? Were there any extended periods of darkness in their lives after coming to faith? Because what I see in Job is that he is going through a long period of darkness and doubt. This is months. Yet God upholds him and confirms him as his own. He is not an unbeliever because he feels like one. Or he feels as if he lost his assurance and the joy of his salvation. His status is not based on or grounded in him, but in what God has done and what God has said. And Eliphaz missed this. So this means Eliphaz was unjust in calling him to repent and enjoy communion with God because he already enjoyed that communion with God. He was already a believer. This was part of the problem uh, centuries ago during the Marrow controversy in Scotland. Around the question, is repentance necessary? That means... Must you show fruits of repentance before you can be considered as saved? Before you can become a member of the church? The Marrow men, one of them being Thomas Boston, would say, no. Only the believer, only the saved can repent. Repentance can't come before salvation. Because the believer is awakened to his state. So in other words, this was a total insult to Job and slander. He was already a believer. And later he would repent, but not of the sins that Eliphaz listed here. But Eliphaz is accusing Job of sins he did not commit based on what he had suffered. This is what we call spiritual abuse. His friends slandered Job and falsely accused him in order to justify themselves 
Eliphaz resembles the religious leaders of Jesus' day when they were purposely trying to catch him in sin in order to trap him. Jesus would ask them, which one of you convicts me of sin? And Jesus, unlike Job, was the Son of the Father, the Lord of glory, the I am that I am, because they were blinded to that fact, much like Eliphaz was blinded to the fact that Job was a believer and a child of God. They were blinded to that fact, and they committed the worst form of slander as the scribes and Pharisees bore false witness against the God-man. And he would go on to suffer for sinners. He suffered for the wicked, for you and I. So a few questions I would ask you this morning. Do you agree with God's promises? Are you resting in these promises? Are you at peace with God? Do you delight in God? If not, turn from your sin. Lift your face up to Christ and receive the blessing of His assurance this morning. For He saves the lowly through His righteous life. He delivers the one who is innocent through the cleanness of His hands. Christ is your only deliverance today, as we will be reminded here shortly in the Lord's Supper.